You're listening to Burnt Toast. I'm Virginia Soul Smith, and I also write the Burnt Toast newsletter. Today is another Ask Me Anything episode with Corinne Fay, more accurately described as an Ask Us Anything episode. Corinne is back, and we are covering so many topics this week, especially fall fashion. We have a lot of thoughts about pants. So buckle up for that. We also talk about snacks, pants and snacks. You're already in, I know. And pets and weight and fat shaming pets. So, I mean, so much more than even that. But just that's a little teaser for you. Corinne, for those of you who don't know, works with me on Burnt Toast. She also runs at Cell Trade Plus on Instagram. She's awesome. She was wearing an amazing jumpsuit while we recorded this. And yeah. I'm excited for you to hear it. So here is me and Corinne, but first a quick break. So people often ask, why did you leave Prestige Media to start your own newsletter? Well, here's one reason. In 2020, I published a feature for Scientific American called, What If Doctors Stop Prescribing Weight Loss? I am really proud of this piece. It lays out all the ways that weight and health do not conflate and explores how weight-inclusive healthcare can be better for people's health. A few weeks ago, I linked to this piece in a Burnt Toast newsletter essay, and a bunch of you emailed immediately to let me know that right under the headline and the image of a scale burning, they set a scale on fire for the story, right under the burning scale, there was now an ad for a program that promises to, quote, reduce your tummy at any age. I mean, this is why, this is why, Burnt Toast is 100% reader supported, That means you will never get a diet ad on this podcast or on any article I write, but I do need your help to keep it that way. So if it is in reach for you, please consider a paid subscription to the Burnt Toast newsletter. It's just $5 per month or $50 for the year. You get a ton of cool perks and you enable me to pay my contributors and keep this an ad and sponsor-free space. Click the link in your episode description or go to virginiasoulsmith.substack.com to subscribe. And thank you for supporting independent, anti-diet journalism with no terrible diet ads. Hey, Corinne. I feel like we should catch up a little. I haven't talked to you. We haven't recorded one of these in a few months. I mean, we talk frequently, but it's like text and email. How are you? I'm good. This summer has been a whirlwind. (laughs) You have been all over the place, right? I have. Yeah, I came out to the East Coast for the summer. I've been staying with my mom, and I've been spending a lot of time with family, my mom, my sister, extended family, and Lovely. traveling to see lots of old friends. That sounds so great. I know you, I was so mad you were in the Hudson Valley like an hour from me, but I was in like the final days of book revisions and we couldn't make it happen. And how are you doing? I am good. It was unexpectedly extra busy because it turned out my book timeline was different than I thought it would be. But now... September Virginia is so happy because this morning, September Virginia turned in the revise as opposed to like when I originally thought I'd be starting the revise in September. And now I'm like, it was totally worth it because <laughs> it's done. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. It's so huge. As I was just saying to you, it's like now 400 pages in Word. It won't be a 400 page book. I don't want to terrify people. Word page counts and book page counts are different. And like 50 pages of it is just end notes, which I assume nobody reads, but I'm still very obsessive about. And yeah, writing the end notes really almost ended me. But I made it. I made it through. So that's so awesome. Yeah, man, it's good. It's good stuff. My kids are back in school and the book is someone else's problem for a few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm living life. <laughs> 
All right. Should we do some listener questions? We've got a lot of good ones this time. We do. All right. Let's dive in. Should I read the first one? Yeah, go for it. Okay. How do you work with yourself when you are having one of those days when you either feel bloated, feel like you're carrying some extra weight, or just feel lousy and a little bigger in your body? Does it trigger any anxiety or fat phobic thinking? If so, how do you work with yourself? I ask because as a human, I assume we all have some of these days with normal body fluctuations if we are connected with our bodies. It is a normal part of living in a body, but I tend to get really anxious and my fat phobic mind starts up when I'm having a day when I may be holding on to some extra weight. I mean, my first response is like, yes, I think this is how we're taught to think about our bodies. So it's normal for these feelings to come up and for you to have this moment. My other first response is let's push back on the phrase extra weight a little bit. Like, let's be curious about that because... That right there is the sort of tricky language, right? That's the fat phobia. And I want to have a lot of empathy. Like these are very real feelings that come up because you've been taught to feel this way about your body. And bodies do change. Our bodies change size throughout the month and the year and the seasons and whatever. And it is like hard to not have that kind of knee-jerk response to it because that's what you were taught to do since you were a kid. Yeah. What do you think? I'm struggling with this question. (laughs) One, because I think what you're picking up on, it's like coming from a very real place and Mm -hmm. it is slightly equating like feeling bigger Mm -hmm. with feeling lousy. I feel like bloating for some reason is like a trigger for me. Like, I'm just like, what do you mean if you feel bloated? Like, are your clothes uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. Are you seeing the way you look and not liking it? Do you just need to poop? Like, are you constipated? (laughs) Are you having trouble with mobility? Or like, are you like weighing yourself, you know? So it's like, I'm curious what the feeling is, I guess. I think you're right. It's like, what is coming up? And I think in this person's effort to sort of be careful in how they're talking about this, they're not giving us all the details, which is understandable, but makes it harder for us to answer your question. Like, For me, there sometimes are, you know, a change of seasons when I bring out the next season's clothes. And if something is tighter than I expected it to be, that is, I think, a common point where people suddenly are like, wait, does something go wrong? And then I have to reframe. Like, if my body has changed, that is fine. It is, like, not my body's fault. It's the pants problem, not mine. I also try to take a step back and be like, what else is going on with me? Because often... I go to particularly worrying about how clothes fit is like a place my brain goes with anxiety because it's got that groove worn into it. But actually, I'm anxious because I have a work meeting where I have to like be on camera or be in person with people or we're going to see friends we haven't seen in a long time. Like often it's my social anxiety that manifests in body and wardrobe anxiety. And so then like taking it back to like, oh, I'm just anxious about this social encounter because I'm an introvert who works from home and isn't great at seeing people, that then I can like sort of keep it there versus going down the like body negativity place. Right. Well, and those two things are so linked because it's like anxiety makes you uncomfortable, but then also if your clothes physically feel weird, it like amplifies it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think 
where this has gone like really badly for me in the past is like, if I haven't taken enough time in advance to figure out what I'm going to wear to the thing, and now the thing I thought I could wear is uncomfortable to wear. So now my anxiety about the thing is compounded by the fact that I feel miserable in this outfit that doesn't fit right. And then it's like you're in this whole vortex. And so one workaround is I try now to, to plan further out what, like, I'm going to take author photos next month, and I'm already thinking about what I'm going to wear. So it's not like the morning of author photos shoot day, and I'm like, nothing where, you know. The like, thing where you're, like, throwing everything yes, you own. Yes, yes. exactly. Um, like, let's avoid the flailing and hating everything. Maybe this person just needs some, like, soft pants. Mm, don't we all just need soft pants? Yeah, like, if you're feeling, like, uncomfortable put on your soft pants yeah don't wear things that cut into your waist (laughs) uncomfortably yeah that is not necessary your waist does not deserve that definitely not I don't know if we totally answered that question I hope that didn't sound like dismissive because that's no we don't want to dismiss the really real feelings that came up but I think it is look at what's underneath it like don't feel bad that your brain went there because you learned to go there, but recognize that that's not where it needs to stay. Yeah. And just like whatever you can do to make yourself physically feel more comfortable will probably help. Well, on the subject of soft pants, the next question I'm very excited to talk about with you. What are some of your favorite or go-to, quote, business casual clothes slash outfits? And someone else asked for fall wardrobe essentials. So I felt like we should talk about, like, fall clothes in general. I don't know that either of us would describe ourselves as business casual. Oh, man. The business casual, <laughs> like, straight up triggering. That is a situation where I'm literally throwing everything Wait, from like, my closet onto yeah. my bed and, like, Oh, man, so uncomfortable. And I'm so sorry for everyone who has to try and figure that out. You guys can't see us, but Karan is in an adorable Target jumpsuit that we just discussed in great detail. And I am in cutoff shorts and a tank top because it's really hot in my office. So we, we did not go business casual oh my gosh. for Zoom recording today. No. But I do want to give a plug for soft pants for fall. I decided, after having spent the months in gene science, as everybody knows, that I... I'm going to try not to buy new jeans this fall because they will be bad. They will inevitably be bad and disappointing, and I won't like them. So why would I spend money on them? I have three or four pairs from Jean Science. I tried them on all last week. Two pairs didn't fit anymore, so I threw them out immediately. But I think I still have two or three left that are fine. They're not great because there are no good jeans, but they're fine for the days when I really feel like I need jeans. And otherwise, I am embracing leggings. I got some great universal standard black leggings. I also got the universal standard pont pant, which is a very difficult phrase to say on a podcast. I feel like I've always said ponty, just throwing that out there. (laughs) That could be right. I mean, it sounds like panty, but okay. Yes. Um, Ponte. Is yes. it like? There we go. Yes. Stay with an accent. <laughs> okay. So question mark on how to pronounce it. But I feel like it's like a dressier legging. You know, it's very versatile. I just have a black, I have a black pair and I have a bright red pair. And then the other thing I'm really excited about for fall is I also bought a, another word I can't pronounce. Chambray. 
chambray. Was that how you would say that? Like the denim, but it's like the soft denim. I bought a button-down shirt mm. to wear with the black leggings or the ponte pant. And also like maybe my cute pink clogs. Yes. And I'm pretty excited about this as a look for fall. Um, sort of transitional. Could go to a clog boot once it gets cold here. Yeah. What about you? What are you wearing? Well, first I want to address business casual. My business casual go-to is just Eileen Fisher, whether new mm. or secondhand. Yeah. Because I feel like they have so much comfortable stuff that's nice. sort of like that, like, artsy business casual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm a particularly huge fan of their lantern pant, which is, Ooh. like, kind of like a wider style that, like, goes in at the bottom a little bit. Yes, Eileen Fisher lantern pant. And it, it comes in, like, a million different fabrics and slightly different styles every oh, season. Oh, I know this pant. Yeah, it's great. Goes with everything and comfortable. Like, you could wear it on an airplane. Totally. Yeah, they're kind of like pajama pants, but, like, a little more tailored, but not super tailored. And then I would also say Universal Standard also has great stuff, just like button up. I don't know. I guess I used to be more of like a dress business casual person. And now I'm like, don't want to wear a dress. I want to wear pants all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm in more of a pants place too. Although I have, I'm doing some shopping for dresses right now because of the author photo shoot. So Mm. I just got one from Draper James. It's not a super inclusive line, but they do go up to 3X, I think. And I'm very excited about it, but I haven't like worn it out in the world. So I feel like I can't fully endorse it. But if you're preppy, and I'm from Connecticut, so I can't not be preppy sometimes, I recommend. And when I was looking at Draper James, they had some really cute tops that I think would certainly qualify as business casual, particularly if paired with a pont pant or a linen pant. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, those are some good ideas. Yeah. Yeah, dresses are tricky because then you also have to make decisions about tights. Yes, and shoes. I don't like mm-hmm. the shoes dress situation because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't want to wear heels ever. God, no. God, no. Yeah. <laughs> I left women's magazines for a reason and not having to wear heels is one of the top reasons. Can <laughs> very you wear it with blundstones? That's my question. Yeah. <laughs> You can totally wear cute dresses with blendstones. Yeah. That's a great look. But might not be business casual. Well, as we established up front, we do not have the credentials no. to speak very well to business casual. But I do think like a dress with tights and blendstones could work in a lot of maybe more like creative corporate settings. Like if you work at a bank, I don't think I can help you. I mean, I think a jumpsuit can totally work too for business casual. The, I mean, as you are proof right now. Yeah. And I have one from Athleta that's like a nylon-y fabric. It's kind of ma- like reminds me of parachute fabric, but I feel like I can dress it up a little if I need to. Yeah. But jumpsuits get tricky in the winter with shoes. Mm. At least here on the East Coast where you don't want bare ankles. The whole bare ankles thing always comes back to that issue. California has really done a number on us. So true. I will say one thing I've been wearing a lot in this cold, damp, summer thing we're having is I got a pair of cashmere bike shorts from wait what Nada. do you know that okay brand? we're gonna have to I do not and okay. we're gonna have to link to that that sounds amazing they're great and they're so great for that sort of like humid cool but 
it's summer weather. I don't know. <laughs> Could maybe work for fall in some places. This is reminding me of that meme of Princess Diana wearing like she's wearing like a blue sweatshirt and white shorts. And if people post it like on the one day a year where the weather is appropriate for that combination. But in Maine, that's like a lot of the time, actually. Yeah, I love long sleeve top and shorts. And yeah, I do all, too. I'd say so also cute. very good for if you're feeling bloated mm, because stretchy. they're just very soft and very stretchy, comfortable. Yes. I am excited about this. We're going to need to link to those. I also want to know if they make like a longer pant. I have long wanted a pair of like leggings made out of sweater material for winter. And J. Crew sells them, but J. Crew does not really, it's, they are not size inclusive enough. Yeah, you should definitely check out Nottom. They go up to a 3X, but it's like a very generous 3X. Okay. They definitely have a jogger style. And they have a lot of sales. So if you're interested, I would be like, subscribe to their emails and wait for them to be like 40% off. Oh, this is good intel. Um, I don't know if a snit cashmere jogger counts as business casual. (laughs) I mean, but if it doesn't, that's not a world I want to live in. You should be able to wear cashmere pants anywhere. I mean, it's cashmere. Like, you're so fancy. It's always in fashion. All right. The next question is a reader would like an update on Corinne's barbell liftoff experience. If you're comfy and want to talk about it. Yes. I mean, the update is that I am not doing it. <laughs> Basically, as I mentioned, I came out to the East Coast, and once I got to my mom's house, I just kind of gave up, partially because I was at the point where I needed to actually obtain weights. Oh, right. You'd progress beyond the broomstick, which is exciting. Congratulations. I mean, yes. (laughs) I just got, like, overwhelmed by having to get stuff. Mm-hmm. But it is sort of like on my radar to restart when I get back to New Mexico and can like have my own space and my own dumbbells or whatever. Sure. That's exciting. Well, and I had said, oh, I'm going to try that. And I still haven't tried that. So maybe when you try it again, I'll get re-energized to try it. It seems like a great program. But I think it also just speaks to how so many workouts are like location and schedule specific. And then we beat ourselves up. And I'm not saying you beat yourself up. I hope you didn't. But like, there's this tendency to be like, I'm going to do this thing. And then you don't do the thing and you might feel bad. But it's like, but the thing stopped working. Like the thing was great for that month or whatever. And then your needs changed and maybe you're doing something else. Or maybe this isn't a month where exercise makes sense. And like, that's cool. That's life. Totally. Yeah. And I think in general, just summer, it's like, I would rather just go outside. Totally. I agree. Let's see. Next, someone would like to know our favorite snacks. So many. (laughs) So many ideas for this one. You just took a pause to really, like, just prepare yourself for... I mean, hard to know where to start. Yeah, Um, it's a big topic. Especially this time of year when, like, I feel like all the best snacks are, like, seasonal fruit. Mm, yeah, it is a good fruit time of year. My first answers were like peaches and cucumbers. But then also like, I feel like my favorite, like grocery store, maybe road trip snack would be Cheetos, probably. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Classic. Yes. Or like any cheese cracker. Yeah. Goldfish. I mean, you know me and extra toasty cheese oats. I feel like I don't even really need to answer this one because I've discussed that so endlessly. 
Do your kids like Cheez-Its? One of my kids does. One of my kids does. One of my kids doesn't like any crackers. And I'm just trusting that she's going to come through this. She likes potato chips. I'm not saying she doesn't have like any crunchy carb in her life, but she's like a potato chip, tortilla chip type kid. Not so much a cracker type person. Interesting. Yeah. But yes, extra toasty Cheez-Its for me. The Ghirardelli semi-sweet chocolate, dark chocolate chips. I like to eat by the handful. That's like a writing snack often when I'm writing. And I feel like my brain just needs like a steady drip of glucose to like keep me going. Yeah. What else am I snacking on lately? We make a lot of the Ghirardelli brownie mix is very popular in my house. That sounds Um, good. And a brownie is a delightful after school snack. It's very popular. I feel like I'm in a little bit of a snacking rut, to be honest. Mm. I feel like I always give the same answers. I was going to say, in a few weeks, I'm going to drive back to New Mexico. And I was going to say, if anyone has any other, like, car snack suggestions, I'm always looking for... That's a great Friday thread, your best car snacks. Yeah. Or anytime snacks. Yes, snacks. All right. Do you want to ask the next question? Yes. Would you put your pet on a diet if your vet said it was necessary? This one is, like, very, like... I had a lot of emotions. Same. This was like hidden a little too close to home. So we did have a cat that this is a fat phobic story, but it is also a little bit funny and it's about a cat. So I'm giving that setup. But one time when we lived in the city and our cat was an apartment cat, so his world was quite small because we lived in like a 600 square foot apartment and I took him to the vet and the tech lifted him out of the carrier and said, Jesus Christ. <laughs> because he was quite, he was amazing. He was very chunky and delicious. And I loved him so much. But I did feel that she fat shamed my cat. And they did suggest a diet. And I don't think we did the diet, but we ended up moving out of the city to a house where then he had a bigger space to run around. And he did slim down. But no, I didn't alter how I fed him because we had two cats and it was going to be too hard. And just, I know, I feel like they're good intuitive eaters. I don't want to mess with that. Yeah. What about you? I have a dog named Bunny. When I got her from an Albuquerque city shelter, she was fully grown and 38 pounds. And now she's close to 60 pounds. And when I got her, I took her to the vet and they were like, she's the perfect weight. She looks great. And I'm like, are you joking? She looks like a lollipop. Like her huge pit bull head on like little scrawny body. So I just, whatever, fed her. She grew to be like a normal size. And when I take her to the vet now, they're also like, she's the perfect weight. I'm like, she's almost twice as much, but whatever. So recently I took her to the vet because she's been having some issues with UTIs. And they gave me, like, this whole explanation of how, I don't know, like, basically, like, if dogs, like, vaginas get, like, too much fat sometimes, like, urine can pool in weird places and then they get UTIs a lot. Um, Wait, this cannot be a thing. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. But so I've recently been faced with the question of whether I would put her on a diet to try and help with her UTI issue. And how are you feeling? I mean, I have tried to, like, gently cut back her food a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea if it's made 
any difference or effect. But yeah, I I have oh I don't know. It's just such an interesting question because I also feel like like you were saying, people are so weird about pet weights. And yeah. it feels like not a very evidence-based statement to yeah. say that her vagina got fat. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing a little bit of interpretation. I mean, people have asked me this question over and over, and I keep being like, oh, I'll do a reported piece on pet health and weight. And then I keep not doing it. But now you're making me feel like maybe there's a story here. Like, I wonder, too, how much of it is, like, vets' own anti-fat bias and, like, making judgments about owners, making judgment, you know what I mean? Like, I want you to say to that vet, just like Reagan Chastain teaches us, like, what treatment would you give to this dog in a thin body? And let's start there. Yeah, I mean, interesting question. It's one of those situations where people will say stuff to pets or about pets that they would never think of saying Mm -hmm. to people. And I also, I mean, my dog also gets a ton of treats because she's reactive and I use hot dogs to train her. Um, And so I've always just been like, who cares? Give her as many hot dogs as she wants. I do feel like I would interrogate your vet on this a little bit, though. Like, how much of it is the weight? How much of it is them wanting to prescribe that versus medication? And obviously that's complicated because, like, it's hard to give pets medication. So maybe this feels easier in some ways to control. But quality of life matters, too, and hot dogs are great. And also managing your dog's reactivity matters. So, yeah, that's tricky. And I don't know if this is a whole other thing either, but it's like having pets fixed also, like, really changes their body. So it's like it sort of sometimes feels like, oh, we're getting pets. We're, like, changing their, like, hormonal profile. We're controlling how much they eat and how much they exercise. And then we're getting mad at them for being fat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Social determinants of health for pets matters too. Yes, yep. social determinants of health. All right. If anyone listening has good anti-diet vet sources for me, I mean, part of why I haven't reported this is I can't figure out how to find the counter perspective. Like, I'm sure the mainstream veterinarian view is that animals' weight should be managed. So if anyone knows someone taking a different approach, Send me resources. All right. This is another good question for you. I'm the mom of a three and a half year old who is in a major why phase. I've read from you and others that it's not advisable to talk deeply about nutrition with kids before around middle school age and to avoid labeling foods as good, bad, healthy, etc. My kid is very curious about why he can't eat chocolate and candy exclusively. In his own words, they taste much better to me, so that's what I want to fill my tummy with. I don't know how to answer this question without talking about nutrition. So far, I've tried to place value on eating a variety of foods, something like different foods do different things in our body, so it's good to eat a lot of different things. Do you have any other tips for good language to use here? My major concern is not his sugar consumption, but rather being able to respond to his curiosity honestly and accurately for his age. I like the language that this person is using. Different foods do different things in our body. I also often say, well, we couldn't eat just broccoli all day either. Like, the point is you can't eat any one food, and that way you're neutralizing it. Like, you can't eat chocolate all day. You can't eat broccoli all day. These foods are equivalent. I do think, though, you might want to just do a gut check on the fact that if your kid is asking this question enough that you are now asking me about it, 
that says to me that this kid might be fixating on treats, which suggests there may be some unconscious or not restriction of the treats. So another way around this is to let your child eat chocolate and candy exclusively and see and let them kind of figure out how that feels because nothing really bad will happen if your child eats nothing but chocolate for a day, right? Like, unless they're allergic, like they're maybe going to have a stomach ache and maybe poop weird because they only ate one food, (laughs) but nothing bad's going to happen in a day or two of this. And so maybe declaring a day chocolate day, like if they're really asking for this and just go with it and see what happens. And probably not much happens other than if you do this maybe for a day, maybe once a week, maybe, you know, in some regular fashion, they should over time become less fixated on the idea of wanting to eat only chocolate and candy. So that's something to play with. And I would definitely make sure you have times in their day, like maybe it's after school snack or dessert after dinner that they don't have to earn, you know, that's separate from whatever they ate at dinner, where they are allowed an unlimited, like they can determine the quantity of the treat food. That's a good answer. All right. The next question is, I'm not sure this is the right place for this question, but it's happening in my life and I don't know what to do. A friend, not in my inner circle of friends, but in the next ring, so very important, has gotten Lyme disease after having COVID. He is treating it by fasting. I feel as though he and his wife are headed down the rabbit hole of eating disorders. As a person who loves them, I feel like there's something I could say or do that would at least give them the heads up, but I do not know what skillful action I could take. Uh, Well, first, just like really sorry. This sounds scary and stressful. And, you know, Lyme disease, when it's really severe, is horrific. So I'm super sorry you are going through this and your friend is going through this. I definitely understand your concern. Experimenting with diet in order to treat a medical condition can be a really fraught thing to do. There's a lot of wellness culture around Lyme. So there's a lot of practitioners that push dietary restrictions without necessarily having evidence on their side. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Yeah. And so it is worrying that your friend may be getting some advice that's not evidence-based. And what's also concerning is most likely whoever's encouraging them to do this has not screened them for risk of eating disorder, has not talked about the ramifications of it. On the flip side, like, it's his struggle. You want to center his experience. You don't want to come in and be like, don't do that. That's a terrible idea because that's not supportive or helpful. But I think I would just try to be the person who kind of makes a space for him to talk about how it's hard. And this kind of reminds me of the conversation I had with Serena in the Office Hours episode that just aired a couple weeks ago, where it's like, when you're told you have to do something for your health— All too often, we don't make any space for the conversation about like, sure, this might be good for your health, question mark, but what else is it going to do to you and how is it going to mess up your relationship with food? How is it going to impact your mental health? And so just sort of being someone who makes space for that, I think, could be helpful. That's, yeah, that's kind of what I've got. What do you think? My ideas around this were basically one, like, do you need to, like, protect yourself if you need to be, like... I don't want to be around this, mm, then take care of your own stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the thing that's like really hard to do, but might be helpful would just to be like, 
if your friend is like going on and on about fasting or something, just to say how it's affecting you or like, you know, hearing you talk about this is making me feel anxious. I mean, it's hard when your friend is the one who's going through the really hard thing and you don't want to center your emotions over his. But I think just expressing concern like that sounds so hard. You know, how are you feeling mentally about it? Or like, you know, in the past when I've tried something, like if you've done something, you know, I've tried something like that, I really fucked with my head. And, you know, I'm just checking in, like, how are you feeling? I think sometimes when this stuff comes up in relationships, we think that, like, if we give enough, like, research and evidence to someone that they'll, like, come around and agree with us. And my experience has been that that doesn't usually work. So either they're going to, like, figure it out themselves or maybe not. Who knows? I mean, that's the other thing is, like, you may be feeling like it's your responsibility to save them. And it's not. If this is a rabbit hole they go down, it's not your fault. You can express concern. You can be a place for them to put the feelings about why it's hard and maybe help them process that. But if that's not something that they want right now, they may just be so laser focused on trying to manage these symptoms and feeling like they have to try everything to do that. Even though, again, I don't think the evidence around fasting and Lyme recovery is there. I think that would just feel that would create more tension and create more distance between you when I think your goal is to maintain connected to this person. Yeah, it's a really tough situation. All right. What's one topic or piece of research you had to cut from the book that you want to tell us about? Oh, I love this question. I'm not going to tell you too much because these are all things I'm hoping to turn into features for the newsletter. So I don't want to give away the story. But just a little teaser, one story I'm really interested in that I couldn't fit into the book is how... BMI cutoffs are used to ban fat parents from adopting, especially in certain countries. I hate that. Yeah. So that's a story I want to dig into some more and find out more with what's going on about it. And I say that also understanding that adoption is like this hugely complicated topic and there are lots of feelings on all sides. But at the very least, we could take weight out of the conversation. That would be cool. So that's one. The other one I'm really dying to do is a story on co-parenting when your ex is really deeply enmeshed in diet culture. There is some stuff on this in the book. I think there's so, so much to say about that topic. I should say I'm going to start looking for sources very soon. So like, feel free to email me if one of these is like, oh, that's my life, because I would love to talk to you. And then the last one, I know I've been promising to do this forever. It really is going to happen this fall. Plus size clothes for kids. I'm getting into it. I did not have space for that in the book either. And I also felt like that was a story that it wouldn't age well. If I do find any good brands, we can't trust brands to still be good a year later, as we all know from Old Navy. So I didn't want to put brands in the resource section of the book, but I think it would be a great newsletter piece. So those are three I'm excited about. I'm excited about those too. All right. Curious what productivity methods work for each of you, especially as writers slash editors. Stuff like writing at a certain time of day, for a certain amount of time, special email answering strategies, etc. I love hearing about how people organize their days. Oh, this is a fun question. Do you want to go first for this one? Yes, although I feel like my advice will not be helpful. <laughs> my advice is that I find it really helpful to do a bunch of like 
phone work in my bed before I get up, <laughs> which is like just the opposite of every productivity thing. Um, oh, that is, but I love it. I do some work on Instagram, so sell trade plus and some social media stuff. And I find just like doing that before I've even gotten up and had breakfast or caffeine just makes me feel like I am on top of it. I mean, I can totally see why it's helpful because those are tasks you just kind of want to like blow out of the way and then you've done it and you can start your day feeling like you've gotten stuff done. I mean, my strategies are not dissimilar. I don't do the in-bed thing because I try to keep my phone out of my bedroom at night because when I don't, I stay up too late and it ruins my life. But I'm a fan of the early morning work hours I've talked about before my family is awake and before I'm getting emails and stuff. So I often get a lot done between 6 and 7 a.m. post-coffee. I do need coffee and breakfast first before I can be a remotely functional human being. Um, I also am trying to do more batch working. I feel like that's a trendy concept, but it's kind of resonating with me particularly because now that the book is mostly done, like the newsletter work, is that's like the bulk of my work week, it is like very discrete tasks, like research a newsletter, record a podcast, prep for a podcast, uh, you know. And so I did like kind of map out all those tasks. Oh, wait, actually, I'm going to show you. You're either going to be mortified for me or think this is amazing. This is my... <laughs> okay. That's beautiful. Um, this is a piece of my children's construction paper with many colored post-it notes. So it's color-coded. So the orange is editing, like getting the next day's newsletter ready. Pink is writing or researching newsletters. And blue is all the podcast stuff. And they're blocks of time of when I'm doing stuff. And so like I'm trying to mostly record podcasts on Wednesdays now. Because when I'm like recording a podcast like any old day of the week, then it kind of throws off like, when do I need to prep? And when, you know, if I'm trying to also write that day and then I lose a block of time. Anyway. Oh, my other suggestion, this is also a batch working thing, is... Emails that don't require an urgent response, I put in a folder called Friday. And every Friday morning, I just go through and deal with all those emails at once. And so it's not the like death by a thousand cuts where you're trying to answer lots of emails during the day, you know, throughout the workday. And there's like surprisingly a lot of things that I found can wait till Friday. Like some of it's like life stuff, like make a doctor's appointment or whatever. But like sending invoices or I don't even know. There's so many things that every Friday it's like a surprise. I'm like, what's in the Friday folder? (laughs) And just like dealing with, yeah, all that stuff that like takes you. It's not a huge time suck, but it takes you out of whatever else you're trying to do for like three to 15 minutes. Like put it aside and deal with it all at once. I love that tip. What do you use to do that? Do you use just like Gmail or? Yeah, Outlook? I just have a Gmail label for Friday admin and I set it up so it's like the top third of my inbox, but I close it. So the rest of the week I don't see those emails and I just like throw stuff in it. And then on Fridays I open it and just like race down them all. And then when you're done, you just delete them? Yeah, or file them if it's like something I need to say. But yeah, I just like take them out of the Friday admin folder. I like that. So yeah, it's very, you feel very accomplished because then it's like, that's empty. You did it all. (laughs) That's a really good idea. Yeah. And you don't obviously have to do Friday. Your schedule might be different, but I don't work a full day on Fridays because that's my life day. Like that's when I go to the grocery store and have the doctor's appointments and run errands. So like 
it makes sense to like have a chunk of that Friday morning be dealing with all of those things. Totally. Oh, this is a very interesting one. Okay. I'd love to hear your thoughts on sober September and if how you think it intersects with diet culture and restriction. I have two friends doing it now and a part of me completely understands why they want to drink less and have a healthier relationship with alcohol. Drinking less can help people feel better and I want to be supportive. But another part of me feels uncomfortable with the restrictive nature of the campaign. Especially when one friend is saying, quote, drinking less is also good because it cuts out sugars, which are the real culprit for my body. That text made me so sad, and I honestly didn't know how to respond, so I didn't. I wanted to send them the comfort food episode on sugar not being addictive, but it feels pushy. So I listened to it as a way to calm myself down instead. Oh, I love that you did that. I don't want to be the person who's always chiming in with, hey, that's diet culture talking and restriction is the bigger issue here because people don't love that. And I know everyone is on their own journey, but I'm struggling to be supportive of the pursuit to cut out a substance that can actually be harmful to your health, unlike sugar and food, because it feels like it's part of the same old diet culture healthism scam. For some context, I drink, and while I don't think it's excessive, I do sometimes take breaks, so I get that impulse to cut back. I also wonder why I do it. But I kind of hate public campaigns for this kind of thing. It's like an ice bucket challenge for restriction, and my eyes can't help but rolling. Any thoughts you have on this newish campaign to abstain from alcohol for one month to reset, to cleanse your body, to test your willpower, and then you just go back to drinking for the rest of the year, question mark, would be welcome. Thanks for all the work you do, Virginia and Corinne. I'm so incredibly grateful for this community. Oh, this is a big question. I know. This one is so complicated. So I actually wrote a piece for Medium a couple years ago about the whole sort of sober, curious, dry January phenomenon. So we can link to that. And I want to say, like, I started out with the same skepticism. I was like, these feel like diets. These feel like diets. Like, this feels weird. And I also have people in my life who struggle with addiction and who are sober. So I know what like real, quote, real sobriety, that's sort of a judgy way to put it. But like I've seen people get sober. So I know how hard that is and what a huge accomplishment and how necessary and life-saving it is for a lot of folks. And so the sort of experimenty, trendy way of doing it just felt like sort of insulting to me too. Like people are like, <laughs> you know, doing this really hard work. So I get that. But then I interviewed a bunch of really smart people for that piece, including Lisa Jabril, who was on that Comfort Food episode. And she had a much more generous framing that really changed the way I thought about it. But basically, she was like, it's an opportunity to be curious about your relationship with alcohol. It can be harm reduction for some people. Like the idea of, quote, getting sober, capital G, capital S, can be really daunting. And taking a break and seeing how you feel can be really useful to people. And she saw it quite differently as a, from a diet, I think, because alcohol is such a different substance than sugar, right? I mean, it is addictive. Sugar is not physically addictive. It is not necessary for life in the same way that sugar is. Like, there's just all these distinctions. And so that kind of made me feel like I totally agree the marketing around it is really irritating and there's often a lot of diety language and like this sort of ant sugar phobia gets in there. But if someone wants to take a break and see how they feel, that can be a really useful thing. So I ended up being more pro it than I expected. But what do you think? I mean, I think it's really complicated because on the one hand, like I think I'm more come from the 
Lisa perspective of like, yeah, could be useful to sort of see what's going on. But it also sounds like in this case, your friends maybe have more diet culture reasons for doing it. Like, are you doing it to explore your relationship with alcohol or are you doing it because you like don't want the calories or something like that? And those two things are like not necessarily separate. I think too, a lot of it depends on what you do with the information. And so I agree if you then like, if you're counting down the days and then it's like, I'm going to the bar, like we can totally like, you know, we're free from the dry January or sober September, you know, that's sort of revealing about your relationship with alcohol. And it does imply you did more of the diet till your cheat day sort of approach to it, which we know is not a helpful strategy for like kind of anything, like an all or nothing approach. And so I think if people don't use it as an opportunity to look at the relationship, then that is more troubling. I just think like when it comes to addiction, we need so many tools in our toolbox. And if taking a break and thinking about it, even if you then decide, nope, I'm going back. And maybe this is like the first step of many towards a path towards true sobriety, or maybe you are someone who doesn't need true sobriety, but this helps you figure out what you do need. That can be good. It's so complicated. Yeah, it is really complicated. I don't know if like binge drinking or heavy drinking is usually like in response to restriction in the same way that Mm, like binge eating So I was... I don't know. Just something to think about. I don't know. And I was also thinking, like, I don't know. I drink a lot less as I've gotten older because it makes me feel horrible, which I think is, like, kind of an intuitive response to yeah. to alcohol. Yeah. But I don't know. It can be hard to listen to that. Yeah. Taking a month off, I think it can be a chance to both physically and emotionally, like, seeing how you feel in social situations without it, seeing how you feel in your workday, like there's just so many ways that it can be interesting to understand your life without that, if that's something that's in your life in a big way. I guess another thing I want to say is I think it's important to classify it differently from sugar because if we don't, we're kind of grouping them together again, right? And that's the diet culture thing. And I I think that's something you could push back on with your friends. Like, you know, it's not really about the sugar. Yeah, that comment is definitely troubling. I would certainly be like, huh, you know, because I think if you're trying to restrict sugar, we know where that will go. (laughs) Like, that won't work for most of us. And the people it does work for usually works in dangerous ways. And that's quite a different—and it's not a necessary restriction the way for some folks alcohol is a necessary restriction. But yeah, I will link to that piece because there's a lot more to it. And there were some other folks. I really also liked Jessica Leahy, who's the author of The Addiction Inoculation, I liked her approach to it, thinking about, like, she talked about how taking breaks was helpful for her in the lead up to becoming sober as a way of kind of, like, understanding her relationship. All right, the last question is a fun one we'll wrap up with. This person says, I'm curious how you all, Virginia and Corinne, met and became friends. Oh, that's so sweet. We met because Corinne applied to be my assistant, right? We didn't know each other before that. No, I was a burnt toast subscriber and I saw that you were hiring someone. I love it. And and it was meant to be. Yes. Um, it's worked yeah. out great for me. And like we said, we still have not met in person, although I'm very excited for that to happen eventually. Um, 
But yes, we are now buddies and in through all of the different computer ways you can be friends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I felt like in our first conversation, I was like, oh, she's who I want. She's who I want. (laughs) Um, We also figured out much, much later, so this wasn't a nepotism thing at all, that Corinne went to college with my sister. You both went to Smith, although I think it's slightly different times. Yes. I don't think I knew your sister, but I did go to Smith. It's a very cool thing about working online in this way that you get to know people who, you know, you're in New Mexico, I'm in New York. I don't think our paths would have crossed otherwise. So Definitely, yeah. Yeah, maybe you can do a book event in New Mexico. <gasps> that would be amazing. That would be really fun. All right, should we wrap up with butter? Yes. Okay, so when I, I've been talking about this a lot, but when I got out to the East Coast and was starting to work at my mom's house, I was working at this little desk upstairs with the window open, And there was a bird, like, screaming at me. Like, just like, oh, my God. It was the loudest thing I've ever heard. It was driving me freaking crazy, despite being, like, a very beautiful, like, warbly noise. It's a pastoral setting, but... Yes, like, so lovely, but it was driving me nuts, and it was so loud. So I downloaded this app, and I'm curious if you know about this or have this. Merlin? Oh, I know about Merlin. Okay, so it's an app that lets you, it's like a bird watching, listening app. So Mm -hmm. you download it and then you kind of like download a like pack that lets you like identify birds by their call. So it's kind of like Shazam for birds. Like you can't, you just (laughs) turn it on and like press a button and it will like identify the birds like as they're singing, which is really cool. It's amazing. yeah, being in, like, a more nature setting, I've been really enjoying just using Merlin to, like, listen to all the birds that are around me. And what kind of bird was it? It was a robin. Oh. An evil, evil robin. Interesting. <laughs> but they can now, be very bossy. Very, like, they're a big personality. Yeah, and now, like, uh, just a few months later, I don't, they're not here at all. So it was certainly, no. I don't know, maybe it was some kind of, like, mating or defending their nest situation. Yep. But... Yeah, the robins have died down and we've moved on to, I don't know, blue jays or something. But (laughs) yeah, that is a great app. My mom is a huge bird watcher, so she uses it all the time. And she taught my daughter how to use it. And last weekend, actually, when I was on a hike with my local Body Liberation Hiking Club, with Julia Tertian, name dropping my friend. <laughs> um, we whipped out Merlin to identify some warbler that we all were excited to hear. And it was like this great little yeah. moment. So. It's really fun. And I, I guess if you're a bird watcher, you probably already have it. But if you're not a bird watcher, it's still really fun. So I would check yeah, it out. Yeah. And like it makes it accessible. Like you don't have to learn all the bird calls. Like that feels hard to me. I can barely tell like three bird calls apart. Barely. Like, that I've mastered over like 41 years of being told about bird calls. (laughs) My recommendation is sort of dorky, but I'm very excited about it. It's these little, I'm holding it up, little food storage containers that I just got. So it's not the cutest thing. It's the cutest thing I've ever seen. So cute. It's like a small round container in like a beautiful light blue color with like little windows on the side. Okay, so... People who are parents may have encountered Life Factory, which is a very expensive and very adorable line of baby bottles. And they're glass, but they have like a silicone like overlay with little holes in it. 
And for a while, they did food storage containers, and they don't seem to be doing them anymore. I held on to my Life Factory bottles for like years past my children using bottles because they were just so cute. Literally, I'm just letting the last two go. My children are nine and almost five. But to help me part with the adorableness of these bottles, which I have to say they're pricey, but I mean, I kept them for nine years. Wow. We didn't use them for nine straight years. They were still a ripoff, but I think they were a baby shower gift. But then I was cleaning out my Tupperware drawer last weekend, which is something I just wrote an essay about. So newsletter readers will know all about that. And we needed to replace some of our food storage containers because they were done. And so I found this is a brand called Ello, E-L-L-O. I got it at Target. They make bigger sizes too. They make both plastic and glass with the silicone overlay. They're not that expensive. This is the size I'm using for like my kids' snacks. Like they take like, you know, fruit or chocolate chips or whatever. Actually, I had it on my desk with my chocolate chips earlier. And they're just delightful. They come in so many cute colors. I feel like this is like peak white mom recommendation, and I'm sorry, but I love them so much. Yeah, they look great. what I've got. They're great. The Yeah, the food, larger ones are like they come in lots of useful sizes, fun colors. Check out Ello. This is not sponsored or an affiliate link. I just like them. That's a great recommendation. Oh, Corinne, I think we did an episode. Yay. Thank you for being here. This was super fun. Yeah, it was. Do you want to remind people where to find you and follow your work? Oh, yes. You can find me mostly on Instagram at Sell Trade Plus, where I am posting people's plus size clothes for you to buy. And my personal Instagram, which is at Selfie Fay, where you can see my dog. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Burnt Toast Podcast. If you want to support the show, please subscribe for free on your podcast player and leave us a rating or review. It really helps folks find us. You can also consider a paid subscription to the Burnt Toast newsletter. Just $5 a month or $50 for the year. You get a ton of cool perks. You get commenting privileges, the Burnt Toast book club, and our awesome Friday thread discussions. You also help keep this an ad and sponsor free space and enable me to pay podcast guests for their time and labor. The Burnt Toast podcast is produced and hosted by me, Virginia Solsmith. You can follow me on Instagram or Twitter at V underscore Solsmith. Burnt Toast transcripts and essays are edited and formatted by Corinne, who runs at Sell Trade Plus, an Instagram account where you can buy and sell plus-size clothing. The Burnt Toast logo is by Deanna Lowe. Our theme music is by Jeff Bailey and Chris Maxwell. And Tommy Heron is our audio engineer. Thanks for listening and supporting independent anti-diet journalism. <laughs>